0: We're going to take a very unique look at how it is that we as Jewish people make an impact on this world and bring an awareness of Hashem into the world, transform the world, by using the example from this week's parasha of how Edim, how witnesses work, specifically when we learn that there are two different kinds of witnesses. In Dominion from Edus, when it comes to the concept of testimony, the passage tells us, Al-Pishnei Edim Goemer with two or more witnesses, Yokum Dover, a fact will be established. So, gefent Metzvei it turns out that there are two kinds of witnesses. Aleph, the one kind, is called Ede Birur, witnesses whose job it is to clarify a situation. Le Dugma, for example, Edei Sof Halvar, let's say you have witnesses to the fact that a particular loan took place. is not as Their job is just to clarify for us that the loan actually happened. Whereas the, the loan itself is net uphängig in the edim, doesn't need the witnesses in order for it to be a loan. on theoretically, if somebody lent money to another person without witnesses, The debtor is required to pay the creditor. You don't need witnesses in order for that to happen. So that von so in the context of Eide Birur, witnesses who clarify a fact, when the Torah tells us that based on their testimony, the facts will be established. What that means is, as the it means that it's consolidated, it's clarified, it's absolutely rock solid because you have witnesses who can illustrate to us what happened. But what happened, happened even without the witnesses. Whereas the second type, base is they are witnesses who cause the event or the entity to become, to happen. Le Dugman, the best example for that is Edei Kiddushin, the witnesses to a betrothal at a wedding. is a tale fundi They don't just testify to the fact that Kiddushin happened. They make the Kiddushin happen. Without the witnesses, there would be no marriage. For in the din is, and the halacha clarifies this, because we are told, as that even if you have a man and a woman who both acknowledge, as Ere given, he gave me a ring. And we got married. If there were no witnesses to that action at that time, is the halacha The is we completely disregard their testimony, the, the husband and wife. There are no witnesses, there is no wedding. In other words, as as on is nitokin kedushin. So without witnesses, there is no marriage. That's called a kyum. On by it appears from Davar. In that context, when the Torah says that based on the testimony of witnesses the facts will be established, that means on the That doesn't just mean that they will clarify what happened; rather, they make it happen. Okay. So two kinds of witnesses: a biru, clarify an event that occurred or a transaction, etc. A kium, make that particular event or transaction occur. Now, that has practical applications, because we're going to see a practical difference between the two types of witnesses. By Eide Birur, when we're talking about witnesses whose job it is just to clarify for us what happened, seeing as that's their job to clarify the details, when do they actually become witnesses at the time that we need to clarify the information, because that's their job, to clarify information. And practically, that means, That's when they appear in front of the courts in order to testify, in order to clarify the information. That's when they become edim. That's when they have an impact. Whereas the witnesses that cause the event to happen, like the witnesses to a wedding... Because their job is to make the thing happen, in this case the marriage. So as soon as they see the man put the ring onto the woman's finger, that's when they become Aiden. That's when they play their role. Now that's relevant because it's going to have a practical application in how we test these witnesses to see if they are in fact valid. Demit is theva that's why the explains why we don't cross-examine witnesses who say they saw a wedding because when do you have to cross-examine witnesses only when you're dealing with witnesses with the ghedda eat is by Zebe in undnin where the entire nature of their testimony is all in the context of the courts. So now these witnesses appear in front of the courts. The courts have to cross-examine them to see if they're actually believable witnesses. So, They cannot be considered witnesses until the basin has established their credentials and the veracity of their story by cross-examination. Whereas, witnesses who are Edei like the witnesses to a marriage. The Torah has already established their credentials for them by considering them Edeim when the event happened, when the marriage happened. So therefore, we don't need the Beislin now to cross-examine them. They already have their credentials. We don't need the base in to check them and then verify them so that they should become Edim. They became witnesses with all the power of witnesses at the time that they saw the kiddushin happen. So, Eide Biru, two different types of witnesses. They come into play at different stages. Ade Biru in the courts, therefore they have to be established by the courts through cross-examination. Eide when the event happens, and therefore the basin doesn't really have any sway over establishing their credentials. Sapea now, with that information, as Eidos, Zayin and Atel von Maise HaKidushin, that when there are witnesses to a marriage, they actually make the marriage happen. Zayin de So, based on that, we can explain another area of halacha that applies to marriage. The Gemara in speaks about what happens if a person makes a statement. And then in a span of time that is called, which is pretty much as long as it would take to greet your Rebbe, they retract. So, that's something we have to consider in all cases, but not in the case of marriage. The Gemara says, The halochah is that if a person retracts immediately after making a statement that is considered part of their statement, chutz, with the exception of a person who is, speaks out against Hashem, or people who either marry or God forbid divorce. So the question is, Why would marriage or divorce be different to everything else where you don't have the opportunity to retract what you have said? So first we'll look at an explanation from the Ran. The Rebbe will explain that we need to truly understand what the Ran is saying because it doesn't seem so clear at first. The Ran is mazbir, as B'shar mili Locha Miracle High. So the Ran says all other areas of testimony usually the stakes are not so high as they are in marriage, where you're talking about potential things like adultery or Mamzerus. So therefore, the person who gets involved in the particular transaction, either as the person, the actor, or as the witness, they go in with an attitude which is, that if anything goes wrong, they can quickly retract straight after they've made the statement. Whereas, by things that are so strict like marriage and divorce, came into Chamerikolahai, because they're such serious issues, a person would never get involved in the first place unless they were absolutely certain that they wanted to go ahead with us. So therefore you can't change your mind even immediately afterwards because you went in wholeheartedly and you absolutely committed to this particular action, the marriage or the divorce. That's how the run explains it. And the Rebbe says, We really need to understand what the run is saying. Because if we go with this logic, that in anything outside of marriage and divorce, a person hasn't absolutely committed to whatever they're saying or doing until a period of time has elapsed, then there should be a practical application of that. That whatever the action is should not be considered complete until the time has elapsed. Here's a practical example. Let's say, for example, let's say that somebody gives another person a gift and the gift happens to be food. So by the runs argument, a gift we've got to wait and see, give him a few seconds just to make sure that he doesn't say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to give you the gift. So now, theoretically, the person gives a food gift can the essen Logically, the recipient should not be allowed to eat that food, at least in the in the ideal scenario, until, right? He should have to wait. See, did the appropriate time elapse that the giver of the gift could have changed his mind? Only after he doesn't change his mind, then I could have the food. Nobody in the entire halachic world suggests that this is an issue we have to be concerned about. So is the RAN really saying that people don't commit to an action unless it's a really serious issue? Muslim Zogan, so we, rather we have to say, We have to conclude that any action is always complete at the time that you do it. And we don't start second-guessing people's intentions. No It's just that I'm told the person has let that period of time elapse where he could have added an addendum, a disclaimer. During that short window of time, the person still has the ability to express regret. And through that, cancel whatever the action or the agreement was. And that won't happen. That cannot happen in the case of either marriage or divorce because those are things where the Eidos already established the credentials immediately, and you don't have a chance now to undo it. As we'll explain now, as the period and then the explanation is, because in the case of marriage, which is the one we're focused on, but it also works for divorce, as we've already explained, those witnesses are ede So as soon as they testify, as soon as they see, they just see the ring go into the finger, that's it. The marriage has happened. And therefore be so the man who gave the ring wanting to marry this woman or gave the get wanting to divorce her no longer has the power to retract because it's out of his hands. Those witnesses, seeing it happen, have already established and consolidated the reality. Whereas other areas of halacha, where the witnesses, like the case of the loan, the witnesses don't make the loan happen. They just see that a loan has happened. And therefore all of the power lies in the hands of the person giving the loan or the gift or whatever it is. So therefore he retains the power within a short window of time to change his mind, and to retract. Now, we're going to focus not so much on the halakha at this point, but more the spiritual message of these kinds of edem, edi birur versus Kiyum, and what they mean to us. Whatever expresses itself in the revealed parts of Torah, like halakha, is a match to how these things are in the spiritual realms too. Therefore, it's more than we can understand as the Alaim de Monte in Eidos that the four concepts we have just learned about Eidos, namely Aleph, Birun the fact that there are two kinds of witnesses, witnesses who clarify information and witnesses who make things happen. and specifically that when it comes to marriage, those kinds of witnesses make the marriage happen. And Gimel, thirdly, as Eidekiyam verim b'shaa on Eidebir Bir zei Eide that the big difference practically between when the witnesses who are Eidekiyam kick in is when they see the event happen, as opposed to Eidebir who only kick in when they appear in front of the din. And lastly, the fact that if something is done in front of witnesses who make it happen, like a a marriage, that is a much, much more powerful kind of event and testimony. All of those facts, they all have a relevance in the spiritual and the deep understanding of Torah, and to understand that, we've got to say, who are the witnesses that we should be talking about? We're going to quote a Pasuk from Yeshaya. We're going to see there's two interpretations of what that Pasuk means. They refer to the two kinds of witnesses, and they'll help us to understand two ways in which there is testimony to Hashem's reality in the world that we live in. So, statement Pasuk, Pasuk in Yeshaya says, Atem neum ha-shem, You are my witnesses, says Hashem. So, Zaini Faron in Zohar, perushim in them. the Zohar says the two possibilities of who you is, who's the subject of that Pasuk? Alev, one explanation is, inun yisrael. It's referring to the Jewish people. The Jews are the testament. They're the witnesses to Hashem in this world. Obeys. The alternative is, inun shmai ve'ara, That this refers to heaven and earth. As the Pasek says, as we well know, says to the Jewish people, I'm calling to witness for you the heavens and the earth. Okay? So, Two possibilities. Two types of witnesses. The fact that we have two types of witnesses—the Jews or heaven and earth—they will they will align with either clarifying witnesses or establishing witnesses, and we'll explain how that is. So, is by al explains in the called that the whole principle of witnesses and testimony is to describe something that nobody else can see. Otherwise, why would we need the witnesses? If we could see it ourselves, we wouldn't need the witnesses. But if something is clear and apparent, you don't need witnesses, and it doesn't make sense to have witnesses. In other words, I don't need witnesses that it's daytime now because I can look out the window and I can see it's daytime. We need witnesses to know was so and so in such a place at such a time because it's not happening in front of us now. Noch beyond that, but let's even say there's something which currently we can't tell, we don't know, but it's something that by the course of nature will come to light we don't need proper edus that's why for example in the case of uh, certain scenarios you can have a single witness because we know that over the course of time we'll be able to establish the fact so we don't need the power of two witnesses in front of the courts is so the al tells us the concept of testimony is only relevant to something we have no other way of clarifying that has a spiritual meaning if Demos is Mekhaya the fact that Dabishha brings the whole of existence into into existence, makes it live at every moment. which we call in both Kabbalah and Hasidus language Memale that Debishha fills every dimension of the world with life. We don't need Eidos. we don't need somebody to testify to that. Because it's something that is actually apparent when you look around and see how the world runs you immediately detect that there has to be a force that runs the world and we conclude that it's a divine force we can work it out in our own minds we don't need an aid to tell us this when I examine my own body and understand how the body works it gives me an insight into how the whole of creation works and to spell that out, it would be Khazal Zog, and the famous saying of Chazal, just like the soul fills the body and therefore keeps the body alive. So the to fills all of existence and that way keeps existence alive. So because that's actually a logical concept that there has to be a life force within the world, to the point that not only Jews believe this, but even the righteous of the other nations have this faith as well. We don't need witnesses. So when we say either heaven and earth or the Jewish people are witnesses to the fact that there's a God, it doesn't mean this principle. We don't need witnesses to tell us that there is a creator, that there is someone or a being that gives life to the world. That is actually self evident. But not only that. But even to believe that there's a godliness and energy of Hashem that is completely beyond creation, which we call, in the language of Kabbalah and Hasidus, we call it the encompassing dimension of godliness that is beyond all of the worlds equally. Even for that, we don't need testimony. We don't need somebody to tell us that that exists. Because, yes... We're talking about a level of godliness that the mind cannot comprehend or grasp. Because Seichel is something which is bound by the realities of the world. But part of the rational understanding of reality is to understand rationally that there are things beyond what is rational. That is the most rational position to appreciate our things beyond us. Which means once the mind has come to understand and appreciate that there is godly energy within the world, driving the world, keeping the world alive, the person will then naturally conclude that that can't be the whole be-all and end-all of what Hashem is that he produces worlds they've just got to be beyond that and so therefore the person would naturally come to appreciate that there are dimensions of godliness that are beyond the world and beyond the rational mind so therefore even when you're discussing this incredible infinite dimension of godliness There, too, you don't need a witness to illustrate this to you. Because, yes, it's not absolutely clear. You don't look out your window and see, Sov of kolom And even using the full extent of the human mind, or even a higher intellect than the human mind, we would not be able to comprehend this concept. But it would fit into the category of something that will come to light. Over time, Because as we've illustrated, the rational process must arrive at a conclusion that there's a dimension of Hashem completely beyond the rational process. And even if I don't know what it is, I do know that it is. And that's, therefore, I don't need, I don't need aiders for this. So, Either we or the Shemaim orats are supposed to be witnesses to What? We need witnesses to the essence of Hashem. Which is so powerful, so deep, so profound that it is as much beyond Kol as Kol Almin is beyond our world, and even more than that. So, the fact that David Powers the world is completely rational. The fact that we have to accept that there's a dimension of godliness beyond the world is also rational. It's a rational acceptance of something I can't understand. But Hashem's essence doesn't even have that rational basis to say, I know it must be there even if I don't comprehend it. Because the essence is fundamentally hidden, not just from human view, but from any existence. You're going to therefore need witnesses to reveal that Taka, Hashem's essence exists. That Hashem is not just a creator and not just super beyond creator, supernatural, but that there's an essence of Hashem which is incomprehensible. Which is exactly like ordinary, normal testimony. As the Altareba described, the purpose of edus is to illustrate something we could never have seen or known. Likewise, Hashem's essence needs edus, and that can play out in two ways. Which dovetail with the two kinds of edus that we have already described. One possibility, Aleph Ede Birur, that the witnesses. Who testify to the fact that there is such a thing as Hashem's essence will clarify for us that it exists. In other words, that they built into the system of creation, witnesses, and the role of these particular elements that Hashem has built into the system is to illustrate us and to reveal to us that there is infinite godliness within this world. And that's the role of heaven and earth. As is well known, the Rambam also speaks about this. That the fact is the heavenly spheres, they live forever as they are. So the planets, the stars, whatever it is. And here on earth, we have the experience of species that endure so Even though the individuals die out, the species perpetuate over time. So, the fact that that can happen, the fact that anything can exist indefinitely, is Nabuchkir that has to indicate an infinite force to allow things to perpetuate ad infinitum on their for which reason we could say that heaven and earth, which illustrate this concept of ongoing life, they clarify for us that there is an infinite source of life. Because there was no other way that you could have ongoing life. day biru. They clarify what's already there. But then you get something called Eidei where the witnesses make something happen. They create a reality. de Then there are other witnesses who are empowered with if you could say such a thing. Mam Not just to clarify that there is an infinite source of life, but to draw that infinite source into the world, into life, which is quite similar to the concept of Eidekiyum, that make a reality happen. So they'll bring the reality into this world. Where, what, who has the power to consolidate Hashem's Atmos into this world? Only us, because we have Neshamas that are part of Hashem's Essence. Therefore, they have the capacity, they, the neshamas of Jewish people, through engaging in Torah and Mitzvahs, they have the capacity to draw down Hashem's essence into this world. So Shamain and tell us there is such a thing as Hashem's essence, Eidei Birur, neshamas through the process of Torah and Mitzvahs, they clarify, they reveal, they draw Hashem's essence into the world, Eidei Kirum and thus is the tampanim if a vasydikidushin zainen adikum by the way that's the deeper reason why it is that specifically what is the classic example of adikum the witnesses to a marriage because the tahris fun kidushin venison is pro or revogemer the goal of marriage is that people should be able to have a family to have children vasin dem in of vasin dem in fun holote is damshachas kocher ein seftol matah when humans have children that channels the infinite energy of Hashem into this world. Because the idea of, of having children is to perpetuate the human uh, family forever. So that's the, that's the closest we get to being infinite by producing new life. In other words, through the process of marriage, we bring down Hashem's infinite essence into this world. And that translates even into the most practical side of the process. As What kind of witnesses are those witnesses to a wedding? The witnesses who make a reality happen. The reality that Jews are supposed to make happen, bringing godliness into this world. So that's very powerful, but it does leave us with a question. Seeing as heaven and earth do illustrate to the world that there is an infinite source, what is so unique about what we do as Jewish people? Shemaimba are testimony to the fact that there's an infinite God who makes everything happen. So, what are we adding in by so called bringing Hashem's essence? into this world. So as to close the Gubir the explanation is this. As we have identified, heaven and earth do testify, they do prove that in this world, there is a source that is infinite. What they don't illustrate is how the entire created reality is essentially empty and nothing, only is in Gansen Botot and completely surrendered to and dependent on Hashem's infinite source of life. That you don't see from Shemaim Baritz. When you look out at the stars, you don't see I- evidence of the fact that there's nothing else besides Hashem. You say, wow, look at those stars. The Uftu von Eden is whereas the impact of the Jewish people, of what we affect specifically through Terra as on this Galaver, we see Zenoid Malvadoi. We illustrate that there is nothing but Hashem. We illustrate, we reveal how everything is completely one with Hashem's essence. Let's try and understand that better. We're going to examine a very well known saying in the Gemara Shabbos about the Pasuk, how the whole world calmed down after Torah. We're going to examine it, we're going to question it, and then we're going to clarify it. So the Pasuk is Eretz Yoruba Shakata, the, the, the earth was afraid and then it settled, it says the Gemara. B'tchila yora, shakata, initially, the world was afraid and then it settled down and was quiet. What does that mean, says the Gemara? All the way for 2,448 years, since the beginning of creation, until Matan Torah, the earth was afraid for its future, for its continued existence. And obviously, if you're afraid of your future, you don't know if you can sustain yourself, that illustrates a certain weakness in your existence. So the earth was weak up until the time of the giving of the Torah given is given When we accepted the Torah, ha, ah, peace and quiet, everybody was was okay. Because in the von Feld, the giving of the Torah consolidated the sustainability of the world. Now there's a purpose, the world can continue. Now if you think about it, it's the need to move on. It actually doesn't seem to make sense. The von Feld is The world is comprised of physical materials physical materials, which constitute oilam, which is from the word hellem to conceal, physical conceals godliness. On Matan Surely the giving of the Torah weakened that hellem, that thickness of the world, that opacity of the world, and refined the world. Like the Gemara says, at the time of the giving of the Torah, the whole world went silent because it was kind of overwhelmed by Godliness. So the helen, the concealment, backed off. And that's why only thanks to Matan do we now have the capacity to take those physical concealed dimensions of this world and elevate them and transform them, make them holy. Then it doesn't seem to make sense that the world was unstable before the giving of the Torah and stabilized by the giving of the Torah. The opposite would make sense. The world should have been very stable before the giving of the Torah and then unseated by the giving of the Torah because now it can't just be this blockage to godliness anymore even though it does make sense, it says, as we well know, that Debeshah made a condition with the creation of the world, and that if the Jews accept the Torah, you will endure, and if you don't, everything is going back to absolute chaos. That is a condition that was applied to the world. That is not the condition of the world let's say for example if a person had to give somebody a gift and let's say it's on condition of X and Y the condition doesn't make the gift bigger or smaller stronger or weaker it just determines whether you get it or not but the gift is a gift so the world is a world and yes Hashem said if the Jews accept the Torah the world will endure but the world is a physical place that blocks godliness and surely once the Torah is given it's no longer that way it should be weaker not stronger even though we know that the first word in the Torah illustrates that the entire purpose of all of creation was to facilitate Torah and the Jewish people, is but you could still say that that is also an add-on, or a goal, or an aspiration. In other words, we could say, there's a world that is there to service something else, the Jewish people, the Torah. Of from is Torah Israel, but nobody is going to suggest that the reality and the nature of the world is Torah or is the Jewish people. If that's the case, surely the logic should flow as follows. That with regard to the actual physical stature of the world, surely the giving of the Torah weakened. The 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 um, strength of the world, rather than empowered it. So, it's the, in them. the explanation is like this: When you see a person, as the What you see with a person is that there might be an action and an intention, and they're not necessarily the same. The reason for that is because in the human world, when something exists in potential, that doesn't mean that it will ever translate into reality. The potential for something is not the same as the practical application. So we all know this because we've all had dreams or ideas that never came to fruition. Why? Because the, because the intentions that we had didn't necessarily automatically translate into actions. And using the same logic, the intention we have behind an action is not necessarily the same as the action itself. And that's why good intentions don't necessarily get us anywhere. That's not the it doesn't have that limitation. But the potential doesn't lack the next step to translate into actual. The minute it's potential, it is actual. On the fire is the guns of Mitzus from the Mpoel, the Koyach. So, in Ebersho's reality, the action or the presentation, the physical or the manifestation, doesn't have to be physical, it can even be spiritual, whatever comes out, whatever plays out in practice, is the Koyach. It's not the result of the Koyach. And that's relevant when we want to discuss the purpose for creation. Because the intention of creation was that there should be Jews who fulfill Torah. That means that the truest essence of all of creation is Jews and Torah, not the physical. Huge mind shift. The reality of the world is Jews and Torah, not structure and atoms. And this has a practical application in halokha. That there are scenarios where we determine the whole reality of the scenario based completely on intention, rather than on physical realities and dimensions. Here's an example. Here's an example. On Shabbos, a person carries some food, in a container, outside into the street on Shabbos, but the food is smaller than the amount for which a person would be liable to transgress Shabbos. So the halacha is not only is the person not liable for, uh, for prosecution, for having broken Shabbos, for taking a tiny bit of food, but even the big container, they are not liable for either, because because the container is considered absolutely secondary to the food. In other words, it's a fascinating halocha. If you had to take the container on its own, it is definitely large enough to be considered transgressing Shabbos and liable for prosecution. So theoretically, if a person took the exact same container into the street on Shabbos without the food inside, they would absolutely be liable. But because we're dealing with a scenario over here, why is the person carrying this pot outside? Only because he is interested in the food, so his mind is focused on the food. And the pot is just an accessory. The halocha is that we take the physical reality, the dimensions, the weight, the mass of this pot and completely ignore it. It is completely accessory to the food. You could even say that the container is now actually considered part of the food and the food is too small to be liable. So you're not liable for any of it. Because the food is smaller than the requisite amount to break Shabbos. That naturally includes the status of the container too. Regardless of its physical realities and dimensions. Why? Because in Torah reality, the intention determines reality, not the presentation. Now, every principle we started off by saying that a concept in Nigla is also relevant in Premius Aterra. Now we're going back full circle and saying whatever is taught in Premius Atira is also illustrated in practical cases in Nigla de Teres. So we'll use an example as well. So this concept, as the Ganzer mentions from Veltus Torah of Israel, this idea that the reality of the world is Torah and Jewish people is something expressed in a number of places in the es- exoteric parts of Torah, I'll at least alluded to, and we'll use one example of Dugma Betosvis, also in the Gemara Shabbos. So, um, oh, sorry, not in the Gemara Shabbos, uh, it, 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 well, in, in a few places. Shabbos, a few places, okay. The din is as is, that we may not burn on Yom Tov, something that belonged to Kochim. So, remember, on Yom Tov, we're allowed to do Oichel Nefesh, so we're allowed to cook something for ourselves. But if something belonged to Kochim, you can't burn it on Yom Tov. While this is not Tzarech Govonit, Tzarech because that is something which is designated for Hashem and has no benefit to human beings, so therefore there's no concept of, I'm, I'm doing something for myself which I'm allowed to do on Yom Tov. And and Truma me, but Yom a practical application of that would be that if a person had Truma and the Truma became impure, so they can't eat it, and now they are required, the Kohen is required to burn it. Can't burn it on Shabbos. Uh, on Yontav, I'm sorry. On Yontav. Frey Tosavos, asks, The halacha is that you may not eat the truma, but you're allowed to benefit from burning the truma so you could use it as fuel for a fire to cook food. Why don't we just do that? Take this truma, which is now tome, which has to be burnt, put it in your oven, and light it to, to cook your, your, your soup for for Tov. What's done is in the on Atzerich Nefesh, because then it would be under the category of things for personal uh, eating, which is permitted on Yom and finished. On Toiswas Enfer, the answer that Toiswas gives is fascinating. Because this struma is also dedicated to Hashem, the fact that it could now have a function for an ordinary person is cancelled, is neutralized, is ignored. Therefore, um, and we now consider it as if the entire quantity of all of the product is all directed towards Hashem and none of it can be used for personal use. Really? what What is Toysav saying? The fact that it has an allocation for Gavoya for Hashem, why would that naturally remove any allocation for myself? Is this movement? Well, based on the principle we've just learned, it actually makes sense. Because the truest reality of every single thing that exists is Torah and the Jewish people. As then any time you use something aligned with its intention, mitzvah. Use it to fulfill a mitzvah. Then, whatever external, additional uh, content or meaning or application it may have is irrelevant now. The mitzvah takes over. Once something is allocated to a mitzvah, that totally overwhelms the reality of what it is now. And so, therefore, in this case, the fact that you're burning the trimmer, why? Because it's truma to me. That's why you have to burn it. Because there is a responsibility towards the mitzvah. It's got to be burned. Therefore, the fact that theoretically you could also use it for your own cooking is irrelevant because the mitzvah content overtakes the content of what this item is as, um, as wood for a fire. In the same way as the content of the food that you intended to carry overwhelms the content of the pot that you're carrying it in now if that's the case, it's got back to the question about whether or not the world is empowered or weakened by the giving of the Torah. and let's flip the question around and similar to the original question we asked, but kind of different. The fact that, as we've said, the entire purpose of the world is for the Jews and for Torah, and that's the truth of the world. So did that only happen at the time of the giving of the Torah? We explain why did the world settle down? Because the truest intention of the world is Torah mitra. So once that intention was assigned to it, phew, okay, we can continue. Who says it was assigned at the time of Matan Torah? Surely, if the intention of the world is Torah and Mitzvahs, that must have been in play from the beginning of creation. Take it by dos right from the get go. That is the truth of the world. It's here for Torah and Mitzvahs. So what did we achieve when we practically received the Torah? That that's what put the the world to rest, at ease. But it was always intended to be this way. And, and in HaShem's world, if that's the potential, it's obviously going to happen. So what shifted? It says, De in to understand that, we've got to understand and appreciate really what is so unique about our contribution to the world. The fact that the intention for creation is to facilitate Torah mitzvahs, that's all in Hashem's reality, actually, as a kavana, as an intention. It's all in Hashem's reality. Because as we've said, in, our, in the Ebishtah's world, there are no breaks, there are no gaps, there are no pauses, there's no buffering. It's natural. As Hashem wants something to happen, so it is in reality. But that's Ebishtah's reality. But from the perspective of the created beings, Created beings have those gaps. We have those delays between the theory and the practice. <laughs> they don't feel in a meaningful way, as elecus to that godliness is actually the truth of the world. They might know it in theory, but they don't feel it in practice. The <laughs> is the ultimate purpose. To bring down into the world from the perspective of the world living in its own reality that the world should know absolutely without a doubt that its full reality is just Torah and the Jewish people. And that will achieve the absolute union between the world and God. It's all very well for Hashem to know the reality. The objective is to get the world to know that reality. On That's why the earth, the world, only settled down at the time of the giving of the Torah. Because prior to that, there was no way for the world to obviously show or experience its connection to Torah, to, to Yidin, and to Hashem. On the fire is the for which is why at that early period of the world the physical reality of the world was the overwhelming reality of the world. like a pot that hasn't yet got food in it. for where you'll only look at therefore the size of the pot. The food is irrelevant because the food's not there yet. The innovation, the revolution of the giving of the Torah is that now there's the potential for the world in its own reality, in its own head, to see its truest self. And that's why the world only settled at that point in time. With all of this information, let's go back to our distinction between the kind of testimony that heaven and earth give to Hashem's infinite existence versus the testimony we give through Torah Mitzvah. Because as the Medjash Tan famously tells us, what is Debish's ultimate desire? To have a home in the lowest possible reality. The implication of a home is where you can be you without limitations. The Ebeshter's essence can be revealed. Because that's what Ebeshter wants, that's what's going to happen. You'll be able to identify it in the fact that look what happens. The world keeps going. Ad infinitum. Which, as we mentioned earlier in the Sicha, the fact that the world perpetuates and perpetuates is an indicator of the fact that there is infinite God in this world, and you can see it. But on the other hand, Because that is a reality that is determined by Hashem on high. You could actually land up with a reality that you have Hashem's infinite Power, Hashem's infinite being, which is one reality, and heaven and earth, which is another. But the goal is that this home for Hashem should be in the lowest reality. That means accepted by the lowest reality, normal for those who occupy the lowest reality. To get there, for that you need our efforts of Torah Mitzvahs. We change the world. We cause the world to accept Godliness as the absolute reality from its perspective, not superimposed by Hashem's force. Dose is exactly as primium soionim, which by the way also helps us to explain on a deeper level, was adecium tunf taken in the mysokinalcimol. Why adecium actually make the action happen, make it stronger which aligns with as we already mentioned before how when we testify to godliness in this world in other words we embed godliness into the fabric of the world itself that settles the world and gives it gives it strength like aum gives strength to a particular event they're with all of this information on we can explain the difference we noted earlier between the two types of witnesses as that if you are Adem who make the thing happen then your status as a witness happens when the event occurs. On Whereas the the witnesses only clarify information, only become witnesses when they appear in the courts and they're cross-examined and their testimony is accepted accepted. We can understand that from a deeper perspective. The fact that heaven and earth testify to Hashem's infinite being does not guarantee that that will seep into the reality of the world. Because heaven and earth are part and parcel of the world. That means to say they are constructed in the reality of blindness, of, of concealment. The fact that there's godliness that you can witness running through the veins of heaven and earth, is not because heaven and earth make that happen. It's because makes that happen and we as jewish people know how to see that when we look so therefore they give their testimony they acknowledge that hashem exists that hashem is infinite they illustrate it through their ongoing existence and they could still leave us with questions, and that's why people look at the, the the heavens and they and they don't necessarily believe absolutely in godliness. When will you have the ultimate experience of clarity, the kind of clarity that witnesses are supposed to produce? That's going to happen when Mashiach comes. When the world will reach its apex. When we'll see clearly godliness in the flesh, meaning using our physical eyes. And then it's going to change. Then whatever is illustrated theoretically by heaven and earth they, and the fact that they endure forever will actually become clear, compelling. Okay, so that's the reality of Shemaim Baritz. Shemaim Baritz don't really illustrate clearly what's going to happen until a later point in time. We get in front of the basin where Moshiach comes, and ah, now we know that the testimony is clear. But the testimony that we create, the evidence that we give to Hashem through Torah and Mitzvahs is very different. The fact that we bring Hashem's essence into the world through our performance of Torah and Mitzvahs, that happens immediately. It's not deferred to the time of Mashiach. We do the Mitzvah, and at that moment, we bring godliness into the world. Not just any godliness, Hashem's essence. When Mashiach comes, then we'll see what we had already done. It's not that the revelation has to wait for Mashiach in order to be effective. It is effective already now. We just don't see it. So so far we've spoken about the concept of Eidos, how we give testimony to Hashem's existence. But the truth is the concept of Eidos and both facets of Eidos present themselves in how we serve Hashem as well. The most common way that people serve Hashem is with a rational basis. Anytime that we serve Hashem based on rational understanding, that is the equivalent of something which is clear and doesn't need Eidos. Makes sense, so you do it. Beyond that, there's the possibility of serving Hashem in a super-rational way. That's how we serve Hashem in a way that is linked to sacrifice. But the truth is even Messir's Nefesh is not necessarily at that level of Eidos. It is possible for a person to have Messir's Nefesh that still has certain limitations of the rational mind nefesh was his for The person says, "I will have masirus nefesh as long as the shulchan mandates it." So everything the person works out. Do I have to go beyond the letter of the law in this particular scenario? Does the shulchan require it? The hersta is. The greatest way to serve Hashem is where a Jew has such a clear feeling of connection to Hashem's essence. Which of course is the result of the essence of that Jew's soul. That's where a person has dedication to Hashem without limits, without any calculations. On if there avoid a state atem a die that's what the pastor is saying. When ha- Shayeon turns to us and says, "You are my witnesses," says Hashem. That's how we bring Hashem's essence into this world by having no limits in our dedication and commitment. One more layer to this principle. from Ir Kavona we've already pointed out over here so of course it's incredibly important that we have this dedication to Hashem that has no limitations but we also have to realize that the obstacles that we imagine are not true obstacles because what is the reality of the world the the intention of the world and any time that the value of the world is expressed then the outer shell of the world falls away like the pot disappears because the food is what counts is the funda hiera that gives us a very practical lesson. Anytime a Jew has the opportunity or the responsibility to do a mitzvah, that er sich nicht rechnen mit kein Sach, Jews should not start to think about a million and one considerations. Nicht mit sein eigenen Messias, person shouldn't think about themselves, und nicht mit dem Messias von anderen Sachen, nor the existence of anything else out there. But Bashas handelt sich wegen einer mitzvah, because when it comes to doing a mitzvah, werden bottle alle die zynistische Sachen, was keine Meinung sein auf der mitzvah any extraneous imagined obstacles to the mitzvah fall away because the mitzvah is not the mitzvah because the reality of the world is the mitzvah so nothing in the world can impede the mitzvah a person reaches a point of being aware of that when they're in touch with the edus dimension of their soul as long as a person bases their judaism just on what's rational which is what we refer to Mammalei Kolomin, and understanding that Ebishter has energy that fills and runs the world. And even when a person is committed to the Judaism in a super-rational way, but the Messias Nefesh, that is calibrated by what we understand based on our learning of the Shulchan Aruch, which is similar to save of Kolomin. Still not after from either of those perspectives, a person could still take the world into consideration and feel disempowered but specifically when we work, but with the power of the essence of our soul, which as we've already mentioned, is directly connected to Hashem's essence the person can understand and completely integrate into their understanding that the whole reality of everything is only godliness, only Torah, only Eden, nothing. Can get in our way, and we can succeed in our avoider, and through that, bring Mashiach to be able to see this with our own physical eyes. Take her from Yad Mamish.